0: Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. This is part two of our best screenplays of the 90s drafts. If you joined us for last time, thank you for coming back. And for those of you who are maybe tuning in for part two and you haven't listened to part one, it might be best to go back so you can hear our other picks for the other movies that we've already selected. Joining us, as always, is... Andy calling in from Austin. Andy, how you doing? Pretty good,
1: man. I'm stoked to get back into the draft. This was really fun for the first time around.
0: And then also we've got Webb calling in from the other side of the DFW. Webb, thanks for for joining us once again.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Here's where we left off last time. We were actually on the ninth pick of the 15 overall picks. The order went Andy, myself, and then Webb. So Andy went first with Goodfellas, and then I picked Forrest Gump. Webb, with his first pick, chose Silence of the Lambs. And then we snaked back around to Webb, who had Unforgiven. And we picked Saving Private Ryan, Office Space, Heat, The Usual Suspects, and A Few Good Men is where we left off. So, um, Webb, why don't you kick us off? I really
2: love the last scene of A Few Good Men. Like, that's my favorite part of the script. It does a great job of putting the protagonist way up in a tree um, and then, like, building a moat around them and then filling that moat with sharks. It Just the stakes get higher and higher throughout. It was a movie that was obviously Aaron Sorkin's breaking. He wrote it while he was working, I think, at some place off Broadway, and probably originally wrote it as a play. Uh, I'd actually read that he would like write a little bit of each night um, on a napkin, and then come home and his him and his roommates had like one of those old Macintosh computers, and he wrote the whole thing on that. Um, Script also came across the hands of William Goldman, who's like a, uh, you know, Hollywood writing genius. He'd written Butch Cassidy, uh, The Princess Bride, All the President's Men. He claims he didn't really do much with it, but it, it's a really good script. It's got really strong characters. I did read where Roger Ebert really didn't like this movie. He gave it like wow. two and a half stars. really, And he he had some good points. He, he said that, you know, in one part of the script, Tom Cruise kind of lays out like, uh, the plan of action and, the, and what he lays out in that scene is kind of exactly what ends up happening in the final courtroom scene. But that final courtroom scene is yeah, just
1: awesome. So good
2: For those who haven't seen the movie, it's got a stellar cast, kind of like Goodfellas does. It's got Jack Nicholson. Um, is like the four-star colonel or general who's like on the base. Uh, Tom Cruise is a young lawyer. He's only taken plea deals. He's kind of got this... Uh, his dad was like a really successful trial lawyer and his whole thing is that he just sets up a plea deal and he's done like 44 of them dude in the last just like the worst months.
1: lawyer to get um, like a guy that has like no fighting him whatsoever just there to like yeah. get you to sign a piece of paper and go to jail you're like no
0: dude like most uh, public defense, it's got it's got
1: other good just, yes, yeah that's, so just, like, that's like, he, he literally has a career in public defense ahead of him if he wants it cause yeah that's all they do like but anyhow, the whole
2: the whole case that Tom Cruise gets tasked with in this is that there is uh there's a marine who's killed on on some it's naval Guantanamo, base, right? Like it's in Cuba. It's something like that. He uh, so I know Sorkin actually wrote this uh, while his so he comes from like a family of attorneys, and one of them was working a similar case that was at nice. Guantanamo Bay, and and that's what it looks like in the movie. I forget if it actually is, um, but yeah, it's definitely somewhere like kind of tropical, and he, you know, this Marine gets killed, well, turns out, like, the two dudes who supposedly did it in a hazing incident were like, nah, we were ordered to do this. Or at least that's, like, the belief. I I don't know if they come right out and say that, but that's what they figure out. And the problem for Tom Cruise is that, like, he can't, the way the military court is set up, he can't directly ask Jack Nicholson, like, did you order this murder? They call it Code Red. Did you order the Code Red? He's got to basically, like, outwit him. Uh, and so he plays on his ego. And it's got and it leads to, you know, what's possibly the one of the most famous lines that was ever written in a screenplay in the nineties, which is, Do you want the truth? I want answers. Do you want the truth? And he and then he says, I you can't handle yeah. the truth. yeah. Uh, Nicholson just... plays
1: such a such a great antagonist because I feel like despite being like quote unquote the bad guy in the movie, like Nicholson brings a real presence to that character, and you feel a little bit, like, morally nebulous about him. Like, you understand why he is the way he is. He gives this great monologue about, like, I'm the man on the wall between, like, society and danger, and you need me there, and you need someone like me. And, like, while I was watching that movie, I'm kind of like, dude, like, you do kind of need dudes that are not exactly, like, the most thoughtful or maybe the most emotional, like you do need this guy you're very correct
0: it's like that meme where it's like when the villain's talking and they're making a whole lot of sense and you're like yeah and
2: the chick's like (laughs) oh yeah which is a great villain to have right and uh exactly exactly two
0: quick things real quick about the the screenplay one the first time i watched this movie i didn't know that this is the movie that had the you can't handle the truth line so i was just like watching it it was like oh <laughs> yeah like a yes. of bricks, dude. especially because <laughs> right after it's dead silent
2: like the courtroom the script even says and and nobody speaks right after he says that it's just like Man. crickets dude and uh and, and so the acting in it's great too i kind of feel like this is a similar pick to uh goodfellas in that sense you not only got tom cruise and jack nicholson who are at the i feel like yeah. the perfect peak of their for powers for they were sure. playing in this like yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's better than like 90s Nicholson and Cruz? And uh, you got Kevin Bacon. Oh, Bacons yeah. In it. I forgot Kevin Bacon. You has got a young yeah, keeper young Sutherland. Low key. He's it. Uh, Demi Moore. Dude, that, you know? That's a you Got Demi Moore in it. Cast. So, and I think Cuba Gooding Jr. Wow. is even in it in one part. But.
0: Yeah, so for my third pick,
2: A Few Good Men.
0: Uh, One more thing uh, about A Few Good Men I wanted to reference, because we've talked so much about Robert Ebert in this podcast. Um, He kind of is like our de facto. When we agree with him, we always have to bring up his quotes because he's always spot on. But his point that he made about laying out their plan of attack before the court case, it's interesting you pointed that out because there's kind of this worst-kept secret among certain genres of movies, especially like heist movies, where if the plan has several folds and twists in it and it's going to go well, they don't tell you what the plan is because they want the audience to be like, oh, that was part of the plan all along. But if the plan is going to go poorly, they tell you what the plan is in advance so that you can understand what they're going through when things start going poorly so you can also be like, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't great. So I don't know. I, I, I haven't watched it recently. I would be interested to see how Tom Cruise's plan he lays out at the beginning matches with how it goes in the case and if jack because if jack nicholson's character is like fighting against what tom cruise is hoping he's gonna say then i do think that that's kind of like an invalid call out by roger ebert that like no that's a perfect way to go about it that like to lay out the case and then have the the witness not follow what you think he's gonna do and then so that you and the audience would be like oh shit this isn't working so i, I don't know what, do you, you know you what's kind of
2: crazy too is that uh is that jack nicholson as a witness in this he's hilarious he like makes demands of tom cruise while he's like interviewing him you know he's like have you had enough and all this stuff like all the time he's uh, always the
0: hard-ass colonel like he never the, everybody is beneath him the entire time
2: yeah no no i, I remember what he does he goes are we yeah. clear <laughs> yeah. after he says something to tom cruise yeah. and you're like what like and the judge did not do anything and tom cruise is like yeah he's like are we clear Uh, so it's, it's great. And one other small touch I love about this movie is that Tom Cruise, I don't know how old he was when they filmed it, like 27 or 30, you know, but he's playing a guy that age and he, I miss this about the nineties. He wears what appears to be like a letterman jacket when he's like in the street, you know? And it's like, it's got no logos on it. I don't know if he was supposed to be an athlete at the Naval Academy or something, but this dude's like 32 years old, you know, and he's just going out to get a drink and he's wearing like a... Is this letterman's Tom Cruise jacket. you're talking like about? A varsity yeah. jacket with leather sleeves. Yeah, and I feel like you used to see that all the time. They're kind of coming back a little bit.
1: They're kind of coming uh, back a little bit. It's like the, the, the kids yeah. are getting into like bombers and le- old Lettermans, especially like retro well, Lettermans. Bombers or, are oh, fuego. but I'm I was for, getting, it, for like, sure.
0: I wonder if part of that is intentional to make Tom Cruise look bigger.
1: Or Maybe. or younger, like to really yeah. emphasize the fact that he's like Probably. in over his head, like inexperienced, and that, obviously the colonel point. is like incredibly seasoned. I love yeah uh, the dynamic of stories where the antagonist is and like a is like a hero effectively. Like Apocalypse Now is one of those where like from the very beginning yeah. until you run into Colonel Kurtz, you're like yeah. this man is a hero. Like I don't know who he is. Um, not to jump into a different medium, but there's a incredible video game from the mid-2000s called Spec Ops The Line, where, uh, and it's not a very good video game from a gameplay standpoint, but it it does have one of the best stories of any video game. And you play, like, a Delta Force guy going into Dubai that's been, like, wrecked by sandstorms, and a, a former American, like, army hero is like taken over the city via martial law and he, very similar situation. He, like you your character knows him to be like a Medal of Honor winner and like saved your life in Afghanistan. but That's he's sick. clearly lost his mind and now he's like some kind of Colonel Kurtz character. And so like that dynamic of like, I respect everything you represent, and yet I know you to have done this horrible action. and like the dissonance that causes in the audience's mind and the character's mind is like, very powerful i feel like
0: that is my number one thing with writing and with consuming stories if there's like a moral ambiguity to who's right and who's wrong with the antagonist and protagonist or at minimum if the antagonist has a really good point like you know that i'd be dropping that pain from naruto's speech like hell yeah once a month (laughs) like inject that into my veins anyways uh
2: also, a uh, quick shout out. I'm, I think it's worth mentioning that the film was directed by Rob Reiner. Nice. So God you got Reiner. Sorkin, Reiner, maybe a splash of William Goldman, and all those great actors. If you haven't seen it's it, so go watch a few. Good um,
0: all right, so you are, you are. We snake back around to you. So let's hear what you have for your fourth pick. Ding 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 oh, wow. ding ding ding. Um, that's the that's man. the NFL draft the on the clock. The on that. the clock music. Yeah. yeah. Um, the guys are now on the clock.
2: Man, I think. I think I think for the uh, fourth pick, I'm going to go with Goodwill Hunting, Great pick.
0: dude. I knew you
2: were gonna.
1: Do the that. movie that launched two incredible careers. In yeah, and uh,
2: this movie also had some Rob Reiner involvement in getting it picked up, at least. So for those who don't know, Goodwill Hunting, written by Matt Damon, they were and actually ben Affleck. As
1: janitors at the time um, in, at Harvard, and they would come into classrooms. Well, I
2: know, yeah, at least Matt. Yeah, Matt Damon was was actually like taking a playwriting class at Harvard, and that's where he started writing this thing. At first it was just like a forty page one act play. Uh, and then that basically turned into what, what the movie was. But this is hilarious, I didn't know this. Uh, this original script that him and Ben Affleck wrote was a thriller about huh. like a young dude, like same kind of concept, like young dude from the rough and tumble, you know, streets of Boston who's real smart, but then he gets recruited by nice. the government. And, uh, anyhow, it gets picked up by Castle Rock Entertainment, it kind of gets bounced around for a little bit, uh, different people, really notable, Rob Reiner and Terrence Malick, uh, Andy, I think you mentioned one of his movies earlier, The Red Line, but they, they both kind of had a little bit of involvement, and at least guiding, like, David and Affleck, but what ended up happening, a lot of people know this, is that the studio wanted Brad Pitt and Leo to play those, their roles, and... You know, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they wanted to play the, the, the roles they had written. And uh, the Castle Rock basically was like, okay, you've got 30 days to like find someone to like sell this to, or else the studio would just like outright own the script. And so they shopped it back around, and apparently all the studios like took meetings with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck just to tell them to their face, like, dude, we're not oh. interested anymore. Uh, But Kevin Smith, this is what's crazy. So they go appeal to Kevin Smith, because at the time, the acting work they were doing was in, like, Mall Rats and Chasing Amy and stuff. So Kevin Smith walks this directly to Harvey Weinstein's office. And Harvey Weinstein reads it and loves it and buys it back from Castle Rock. But, and this is kind of ironic... Weinstein asked that a few scenes be removed, including an out-of-pace mid-script oral sex scene.
0: Wow. wow. Weinstein requested that? How wild that? is that? That
2: is so weird.
0: Of all the people, man. Man, he was trying to cover <laughs> yeah, his tracks, apparently. He was yeah, like, like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, I hate, I hate
1: weird, uh, awkward oral sex, man. I'm super not into that, so let's get
2: that out <laughs> of the script.
0: It seems very forced. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, for those who haven't seen it, Matt Damon plays a guy named Will Hunting who works as a janitor uh, at Harvard or MIT. And he's going around at night and he's going into like the mathematics office where they have these crazy. Like unsolvable uh, equations
1: you know, that no one's ever solved and he's just like knocking them out.
2: Exactly. Like, those kind of like math problems that take up an inju- like a full yeah. chalkboard. And this janitor dude is just going in there and he's solving them. So he's brilliant, but nobody knows about it. And uh, what does he get in trouble for that lands him. Do y'all remember what he why he has to end up go seeing the site solve co- the mathologist?
1: I think doesn't he get in the he gets some no. oh, kind of a beef with ponytail guy at the bar. Uh my I mean, if you were like me and you were like kind of a dork when you were a kid, your like greatest hope was to one day do the Matt uh, the Matt Damon like fucking own someone with your knowledge of history <laughs> like, like and get a yeah, girl that's... out of it?
0: Was that a scene where he like points out the girls and talks about how you're more likely to like get with the girl that's over here as like he yeah. explains game theory but for and, dating
1: and then and then the the ponytail guy's like t- like kind of talking shit to him because he doesn't know about that and he's like, yeah you're gonna walk talk me through how the New England colonies developed a more industrial economy than the southern colonies for which you don't know because you haven't read Hawthorne yet. And next semester, you're going to read Hawthorne, you're going to learn that the southern colonies had a slave-based economy, and you can come back, and he just, like, wrecks this dude with his knowledge of, like, several prominent historians, and the guy just totally collapses in embarrassment and leaves, and then he, he's outside the window with the, the phone his number.
0: Neckbeard porn, man.
1: Yeah, dude, just full neckbeard porn.
2: I, he lands in the hot seat, I think, because they find out who's doing the math, like the the professors find him, and and then they recommend that he yeah, go see yeah, Robin yeah. Williams.
1: I think so. Isn't that true?
2: They need him to go see him. Because he's, like, real rough, dude. He's, like, out there. He beats yeah. up a dude, I think. Or he, like, punches some dude in that scene where he's like, how do you yeah. like them apples? <laughs> yeah. You know? But uh, anyhow, he has to go see this psychologist who's played by Robin Williams. And who in the backstory is kind of like Robin Williams was roommates or something with... The brilliant, you know, Harvard professor, and they kind of had a falling out, and now Robin Williams works at like a community college, but he's also brilliant, yep. right? And they start to develop this kind of friendship. Starts off real rough at first. You find out that Robin Williams' character has been through like a lot. His his wife died of cancer. He fought in Nam and had his best friend die. Robin like Robin right Williams could channel pain like um, so
1: realistically. I mean, obviously we. Yeah. Can't- based on how his life ended, we, we kind of know it, probably that all came from a very real place. But, like, you watch this movie and, like, you can feel like very very real human injury in his performance.
0: Yeah.
2: 100%. I think it's my favorite role that Robin Williams ever played. It could definitely be. Um, and I actually heard that they were thinking at one point of Morgan Freeman doing it while they mm-hmm. were writing it. I don't know if this is the version that included being targeted by okay, a government agency. The movie you described—that's
1: a—that's uh, that. What's it called? Um,
2: it's the movie Matt Damon made. Well, like, 20 and years it's later. also yeah. what's the
1: movie with Al Pacino and Colin, uh, where he like joins the CIA and Al Pacino teaches him how to be a um, the the recruit. Oh, the yeah, recruit. That's, that's the
2: recruit. Where the dude? There's a chase scene with yeah, a VW. He, he, like, works at in a bar. He's like a rough knew? and tumble guy, but
1: he's really smart, and he gets recruited to the CIA, and like, yeah, dude, the recruit.
2: Dude, I, I think I'm fairly positive there is a car chase scene with like a lime they're green de- VW bug. Yeah. At the end. Like the, when they brought it back around y k Yeah, they tried hard to get those to be cool. I can't
1: believe Because everyone saw what the Italian job that. did for Mini Coopers, and they were like, all right, bro, let's get a PT Cruiser in the newborn movie and we Italian can get the shit popping. One,
0: well, uh, one thing about the Robin Williams Mexican scene, Will that I, team. or Robin Williams and his friendship with Matt Damon in that film, is I think that the it's not your fault scene, is one of the best, if not the best, like singular dialogue scene in like all of the '90s. It's so good,
2: dude. They were the the, the dialogue in this thing is amazing. I always think of the park scene when he is. Te- you know, they when their friendship kind of strikes up in this movie. Will Hunting, Matt Damon has met this girl whose name is Skylar, played by Minnie Driver, and uh, that name was actually a name based off a girl that Matt Damon was dating when he wrote the, like, play for his playwright class. But Matt Damon's falling with this girl and Robin Williams says something about, like, dude, you haven't experienced... You you don't... You know, you see all this pain in life but you haven't felt the feeling of a woman who can level you with her eyes. Which is Chapter. just, like, a beautiful line. Yep. And then they, they have that whole park scene where he's like, dude, you think you know all this stuff. You can tell me what it looks like in the Sistine Chapel but you've never sat there and, like, smelled what it's like to be inside the Sistine Chapel Um, you know And because their backgrounds are both so similar he's able to finally connect with them and and have like a good mentorship and the movie ends with you know Matt Damon going to California with Skyler with Minnie Driver Um, I heard Terrence Malick was actually the one who suggested he's like he should follow her out there instead of them just deciding to go together uh, and there's that great scene with Ben Affleck whose character's name is Chucky and uh, Chucky tells him he's, he, he's standing there at the construction yard he basically breaks it down for Matt Damon and it's like dude you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket you know like you can stay here with me and drink beer all the time but you're going to waste yeah. your life um, it's, it's a beautiful it, it's one of the best coming of age stories that I've ever seen and you know I think it, it appeals to a A really mass audience it's the the themes of the movie are just so you know it's like hey there's a lot of pain in life but life is is ultimately beautiful it
1: is a super beautiful movie and it launched both their careers and for a while they went in very different directions i watched like a uh i don't know if it was like a podcast or an interview but it was just like matt damon and ben affleck talking about their early careers yeah and Ben Affleck expressed this, like, really dark period for a while he had where he was, like, ultra-famous but could not get any roles. Like, no one viewed him as a good actor, but he was, like, one of the most famous people in the world. And so, like, he described it as, like, I could sell magazines, but I couldn't get a job. And so, like, his life was, like, kind of ruined because he couldn't go anywhere. Like, he had the fame of an A-list celebrity but was not, like, an A-list actor. He was just, like, Paris Hilton but a dude – Meanwhile, Matt Damon, you know, kind of from the jump, was viewed as this like Artur who could like do all this cool shit. Um, it was very Dude, fascinating. it's probably not unlike
0: being like a memeable person. Like, you know, a. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to put him on the same stratosphere, but think of like a person who became solely famous because of their memeability, like a Rebecca Black or something, where it's like, yeah, everybody knows who I am, but I can't leverage that into anything. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm just kind At of least, a And, and joke.
1: certainly not for what I want to do. And anything I right. would be able to leverage it into would only take me farther away from where I actually want to get to which is being taken serious and <clears throat>
0: uh-huh. for him
1: to go from there to like you know eventually he's like directing Argo and like doing Gone Girl and like he's he can he has some chops man I'm there's a you know I hate to like use the word like adversity to describe like a, a very rich yeah. famous dude like but yeah I mean he had his journey everyone has their cross to bear and like Clearly, Ben Affleck, like he went from JLo's Lo's boyfriend to you know standing on the st- on stage at the Oscars. So and they both started yeah. at Goodwill Hunting.
2: Yeah, I can never think about this without. I was thinking just about thinking about this where it's where Matt Damon be like, Hunting, "All right, that, that's it, Goodwill Hunting." Uh, and
1: then you see it cuts over and Ben Affleck's on the couch smoking. No, he goes Goodwill Hunting <laughs> yeah, by Matt Damon. It cuts over to the couch <laughs> and Ben Affleck like... smoking weed, and he goes, "Hey, dude, put both our names on that."
2: <laughs> yeah. And he goes, dude, you haven't written a single line. And he goes, do you want to do you want to contribute one line? And Ben Affleck just raises his leg <laughs> yeah. parts. He's like, how about that,
1: dude? They used to just shit <laughs> on him, man. That sucks. Uh, uh, great
2: movie, but man, great movie, Goodwill Hunting.
0: Great choice. Uh, Goodwill Hunting was my number three overall. I was kind of, I was surprised that it dropped that far. I was, I was probably going to choose it with my next pick, just like assuming that. There was no way it was going to survive two of Andy's picks. It's just such a good film. Like, um, Where did you have it on your big board, by the way? I'm just curious.
2: I, I had it probably shifted down, but I moved it up as kind of like yeah. an impulse pick. Because
0: it's, I mean, it's so it's So I've good. got a pick, but I, I only want to pick it if I can use it as one of my... So I've got a bunch of dramas that are kind of high up. And then I've got one that I've marked as like a drama slash a black comedy. If I can count this as a black comedy, then I want to pick it. If not, I'll, I'll reverse it, Terry.
2: All right, lay it on us.
0: American Beauty,
2: great
1: movie. One of the first movies that I—that's uh, kind of a drama. Oh, Okay, if 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 it,
0: if it is, I'll I'll uh the first ooh. time
1: my wife ever came over to my apartment and like I made her dinner and I she had never seen American Beauty and we watched it and then she told a bunch of her friends that that's what we watched and they were like that guy must be fucking weird that movie's fucked up <laughs>
0: like it is
2: dude I will say that that fell into the theme uh, we talked about earlier very much of like 1999 everyone had yeah. good jobs that,
1: un, that you know, lack of if fulfillment. You, if you have a good job despite, you're kind of wondering yeah. what you're
2: doing in life um, that movie was yeah. heavy
1: for the time too yeah. like to show like to to verbalize what everyone kind of unspokenly knew which is that like there are dudes out there in fully like committed relationships that are it's dead inside and then the neighbor situation where it's like there are Totally standard suburban dads that are like gay on the low. Like that was not something we acknowledged publicly in society yet. Yep. Like it was bold. It's a very bold film. Yep.
2: Hey, shout out, shout out Kevin Spacey yep. again. Man, that's my I second Kevin
1: Spacey. man dude, he, he has bangers. Dude, he has bangers.
2: He does. And, dude, even his B movies, like I'll, sometimes I find these weird DVDs from like his movies, Casino Jack or something. Dude, like, Casino Jack is
1: awesome. Like, I it's seen like one of the craziest true. Yeah, story. but I'll always just
2: watch a random yeah. Kevin Spacey um, movie. Uh I'll tell you this, Sam. If you want to roll with uh American Beauty for your pick, I'll let it stand. Yeah, I'll, it's and fine Andy by me. To. I I'm do not, think it's kind of more of a drama I, than black comedy. I do think comedy. it's more But if we want to dissect drama can.
1: than black comedy, but if for the sake of your genres, like
2: I'm not. I'm not. See, you should have done it like me, dude. I started out with a horror and a western. Like, I got my other genres out. Okay, of so here's what I'm gonna do. In, in interest of fairness
0: and to make a riveting podcast, I'm gonna reverse it, Terry, and not pick American Beauty. Um, I'm gonna move down okay. my list for, um, and I'm gonna pick I was about a to shit on another too, drama, so. a true drama. Um, oh, there's so many good ones, dude. Oh my gosh, I almost feel bad picking a... a Dude, drama. I wouldn't say hackers is a drama.
1: So, I mean, just go ahead and you know,
0: yeah. shoot your shot. <laughs> hey, uh, one of you guys that have the internet pulled up, can you see when Clock Stoppers was uh, released? <laughs>
1: Clock Stoppers, <Yeah>.
2: dude, <laughs>
0: banger, uh, dude.
2: Uh, We're in sixth grade, dude.
1: You're too okay.
0: late, boy. Train Spotting,
1: amazing movie.
0: Would you guys I consider rate that rate a rate drama rate or, a, or a or a comedy? <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: it's I, honestly it's kind of tough it does straddle that line it's obviously deals with some really heavy subject matter but it does make light it's a of drama. it um i would say it's almost more of a comedy than american beauty to be honest with you yeah um
0: but well, let's talk yeah, about it like, dude
1: if you if you've ever been in like the doing heroin it's- community that is like the greatest film ever made about that subject to most people um so i have seen it like a thousand times it's super good based on an incredible book. Um, yeah man super banger
0: it is i mean i i'm a sucker for a few different things in the story i i think it does in, a few things incredibly well that not all stories have to have this but when they do it well is a mark of just incredible writing and that is realistic dialogue juggling a bunch of characters juggling different timelines and then also making a meandering story that doesn't have like Plot A, Plot B, resolution, or like clearly a five act structure. Like, there's so sure. many um, dips, there's so many highs, there's so many lows in this in this script, and you really like when you're halfway through this film, you have absolutely no idea where it's going to end up. And you know, you watch some movies today, especially in certain genres like actions or westerns, like you have a general idea of like what the final scene is going to be like but in train spotting, you're halfway through it and you have no idea what's going to happen
1: yeah he could die um, at any moment <laughs> you're like yeah what? or any
0: of his friends could die at any moment or like yeah. they could also end up extremely successful at any moment like you truly have no idea it kind of operates under there's a few movies that I've I've either picked that are like this or that I almost picked I would put Forrest Gump in that same category of like you you truly have no idea what's going to happen next um, and I think that's a huge strength of so the screenplay um again i i i said it was extremely realistic dialogue um i almost defer on that i don't really know i guess you know i can't speak to some of the experiences they have but in terms of it's not overly um there's not a lot of exposition it's very it's very on the nose as to what like people in that situation might say oh, yeah. I guess is...
1: it, it captures the chaos of that part of life very well it captures The kind of internal dialogue that goes on when you're in active addiction incredibly well. Like the scene where he's like, here's what you need to get off of heroin. You need two cans of soup. You need a TV. You need a bucket. You need a door. He locks himself in his room and he's like, now all I got to do is wait until I'm good. And then like 30 seconds later, he's ripped the door down. He's like, but just one more hit just to, you know, let myself down easy. That is like heroin addiction in a nutshell. Like in 30 seconds, that's it. Like, he does it so well. It's crazy.
2: McGregor read books about crack and heroin to prepare for the role. And he went to Glasgow to this place called the Calton Athletic Recovery. And those are the guys that actually play the opposing football team in the opening credits. Oh. And I think they taught him how to cook heroin uh, with a spoon using, like, glucose powder.
0: So he went deep into the role. I don't know if that was his first big role, but it did seem like his trajectory just immediately jumped after that i mean he got the the prequels role with uh, playing uh, obi-wan obi-wan, Obi-Wan? Is, honestly like he did really well in those it sucks that like the re- the writing sucked cuz he's he
1: definitely the I only know. part of that those movies that people still to this day like like all the memes from the prequels are all like well hello there like those are yeah. that's all the the pieces Dude. people like are definitely from those yeah.
2: Since this is a writing podcast, one of the movies y'all should eventually review starring Ewan McGregor is The Ghost Rider. Dude, oh, yes, yeah. that is such awesome. a good movie. I love yeah, that movie. It's great. such a good little Yeah, such a great.
0: It's just like super tense but for no reason and you're just it, it does a great job of keeping you on the edge of your seat. I love everything. Have you guys about ever it. watched the Story, um, the on the way down or on the way on the way back or whatever it's called? He has he has two docu series where he rides with his friend Charlie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: on the motorcycles.
0: Yeah, so basically, the for those listening who maybe don't know, it's Ewan McGregor and his buddy Charlie, who, I forget his last name, but another actor, they have two docuseries. One, they go from the top of Scotland down to, the like, the tip of South Africa, basically. So they go from, like, the very top of Europe down all the way to the bottom of the... Um, southern hemisphere and then they also go from london to new york horizontally across russia and across like the you know north america so really really cool i think each series is about eight episodes and i've heard that they're doing another docu-series here pretty soon where it's going to be i don't exactly know where they're going i think they're going down like the spine of like northern california through cool. like south america but i could be making that up i do know they're coming out with another one but i don't remember exactly what their path is going to be but dude those are really good docu series. love them
1: yeah he did a he he really took off like in right after this because he did uh he did train spotting in 96 and then in 98 he did velvet gold mine and then he does Star Wars Episode One and Rogue Trader in '99, both of which are incredible. And then, yeah, after that, he's doing Black Hawk Down. He's doing big blockbusters.
0: Yeah. So that's it. Train Spotting. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. It's. Just it's an incredibly good gripping story with high stakes because again it follows all these Man, drug addicts. He's been in so Edinburgh. much good
1: stuff. I totally forgot about yeah. half of these. The men who stare at goats, incredible. Him and him and that's uh, a fun uh, movie. yeah. Well that
0: that's it for me. Alright, I think Andy it falls up. to go
1: telly. Oh, okay, nice. Okay. Um so for mine I'm gonna go uh into the realm of animation. Um
0: Oh no, you're gonna be wow. my fifth pick. I like this I like this.
1: I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm, yeah. I think I, know, I think I know
2: what you're about to draw. I'm on not picking Toy
1: Story if that's what you think I'm picking. I'm okay. not. I'm not picking Toy really? Story. No. Really? Um, I am selecting the uh, Mamoru Ashi masterpiece, Ghost in the Shell. Came out in 1995. Wow. Um, Goat choice, man. This is.
2: I haven't seen yeah, it Yeah, so this is a movie I don't think ma- that many
1: people saw. This was probably the second anime to ever really make like a big splash in the West after Akira in 1988. Um Ghost in the Shell is probably one of the first movies I remember watching where I was just like truly mind blown. Ghost in the Shell is like a cyberpunk future story where people have uh they call it cyberizing. They replace pieces of their body with like robotic parts, including their brain. Um, and so people have begun to question like what separates like the the human mind, the, the soul from the what they call the shell or the body. Um, right. And the main character uh, is a like badass military police detective, and she was in a horrible accident, and so her brain has been put into a complete android body. Like every part of her is robotic um and so she kind of struggles with that identity of like am i still myself if it goes back to like the very old greek concept of like if you have an axe with like a handle and a head and you replace the head and then you replace the handle like is it still the same axe or is it a totally new axe or like you know etc right what's the
0: name of that boat in the greek mythology yeah i can't
1: remember that's exactly the same thing like you replace every plank yeah yeah. So it
0: begins like that.
1: Um, they're chasing this incredibly uh, – and, and obviously in a cyberized future where people have like everything computerized, hackers are like the craziest criminals. Um, it has one of the saddest scenes in any anime, which is that this garbage man gets uh, extorted by this hacker. And the hacker's like, look, I have your wife and kids. Like I'm going to do all this shit if you don't like put these – do all this stuff for me. And the garbage man does all this stuff. And then when, when the cops finally get to the garbage man, he's like, look, I I had no choice. Like the dude has my wife and kids. And then they show him these pictures. They're like, dude, he just hacked your brain. Like you don't have a wife and kids. Like he just implanted memories into this dude's head. And he's looking at these pictures. He's been looking at him the whole show or the movie up until this point. And the pictures of like him and his wife and his kid. And now he looks at him and it's just him alone with his dog. And you're just like, and he like in, in one second realizes that everything he remembers about his life with his wife and his child is fake. None of that happened. He lives alone. It's like the saddest shit ever. It's fucked up. So, yeah. So they're following this hacker. They're trying to chase him the whole time. And it turns out that the hacker is not a hacker. It is an artificial intelligence that was born inside the web. And so this movie culminates with this great question of like, if something has wants and needs and feelings and knows pain and emotion, like what separates that from something that's alive? Especially like... In a world where, yeah. like, people have put their brain, their consciousness into a machine already. Why, you know, how is that How is it's that difference, universe, dude? So, this movie was incredibly influential. Um, it's credited by the Wachowskis as, like, being one of the main inspirations for The Matrix. Um, the soundtrack is fucking incredible. Uh, it got the ultimate... Uh, christening which is that it got a shitty American live action remake in 2017 with Scarlett Johansson playing the main character it's fucking awful but obviously an anime has to be a pretty big deal for it to like get that kind of treatment Um, it was in theaters and everything I went to see it the first night and I nearly cried I was so upset like this sucks so bad and it's such a masterpiece but um, it's based off an incredible manga and yeah man I just this was like one of the first movies that really made me understand that like One, like, a cartoon can be truly a piece of art and, like, make you think and feel things that you may not be able to in, like, live action, at least at the time. And second, it made me, like, ponder questions of existence that I had just, like, never considered up until that point. I was definitely going through, like, a period of my life where I was, like, thinking a lot about transhumanism. Like, what is the ultimate relationship between humanity and technology and, like, when – at what yep. point do we merge? And, like, is that kind of the next stage of human evolution? And this is kind of a cautionary tale about pieces of that. So, it's an incredible film. It's gorgeous. Um, if you're going to watch it, they've released this movie, like, 50 times. There's one called Ghost in the Shell 2.0, which has a bunch of, like, shitty CGI in it. Watch the original cartoon from 95. Um, also, the voice acting isn't super good in the dub, so I recommend subtitles. But you can still watch the English one. You'll get the point. But, yep. incredible film. Um yeah, it It's a banger. It's fucking awesome.
0: Man, I, I, I actually, I'll make a confession, is I'm kind of, I've got the reputation of this group as the one who's probably watched the most anime, but I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell yet. I need to make a point to watch we that. We should
1: do an episode uh-huh. on it. It's definitely worth yeah. an episode. Got, uh, yeah. I, on, will, it's worth I will say,
0: down. you know, we watched Akira a few weeks ago, um, and I don't know what it is. Akira kind of does the same thing, where it just brings up such interesting facets of like humanity through yeah. uh, like an in a nuanced way that um a lot of american films don't do and, and we talked about it a little bit on that episode that we we've still yet to release but um about how and i think this is unique to japanese culture especially their dialogue where like they'll go into these heavy diatribe these monologues where they just like spill their heart out about how they're feeling yeah. and i think they can use that as A sort of um, um, exposition as to like yeah how either you should be feeling or how they're feeling um, to kind of drive the plot along, and they can get into these really deep topics that a typical one hour and thirty minute American film, for whatever reason, can't seem to get into.
1: Yeah, agreed. And this is yet another uh, Japanese piece of media that was like made in that period where like you know, and Akira was definitely a child of this too, where like Japan had to deal with its own complete destruction. Like, post-war, yeah. Japan was not only defeated, but had to be had its entire culture ripped out by the roots. Like, MacArthur, in what has to be, like, the biggest fucking flex in the history of warfare, like, made the emperor of Japan get on the national radio and just tell everyone straight up, like, I'm not God. Like, people literally yeah. found out God was fake the same day they found out they lost the war. Like, the the trauma to the national psyche of Japan that is kind of hard to quantify. People jumped out of windows and stuff like that. And then to have to rebuild your society around new values uh, and the values they chose were obviously like liberal democracy, pacifism, uh, capitalism, and those all worked really well. But just like we talked about with the American movies in the late 90s, in the 80s and early 90s, Japan had really, like, become this economic power. They, you know, Sony was making all these crazy electronics. Japanese car companies were doing incredible numbers as the as Detroit kind of fell off. But what's interesting about it is that they kind of had that same malaise settle over them, where they were like, we're making a lot of money, but I feel like we are spiritually bankrupt. We're missing something. And so it inspired a lot of these works about, like, what does the future look like? What does the soul of and culture of our people look like? And most of them are inspired to go in this direction of, like, let's take what we're seeing now to its ultimate extreme. Like, okay, we're getting real into like VCRs right now. What if we're in mech suits? You know what I mean? So, like, this is another one of those movies. And especially yeah. in the world we live in now man where like technology has become so intertwined with our existence Ghost in the Shell is like more applicable than it's ever been
2: that's what I was going to say is movies like that which, which I admittedly haven't seen and like The Matrix which I won't really go into in case when y'all pick it but like they uh, are increasingly <laughs> if you would, when I remember when The Matrix came out if uh, I, when people, uh, when the Wachowski brothers went up and accepted their award they thanked the studio or the person that promoted them and were like hey thanks for giving us a chance with this super complicated script. And I remember the whole thing about that movie when it was released is, like, you had to watch it twice to understand it. Whereas, like, if I had to explain The Matrix to someone now, I could do it in one sentence. I'd just be like, yeah, man, it's kind of like the Metaverse, or, like, have you seen what Elon Musk is doing? Like,
1: they, they actually had to dumb down The Matrix because the original, like, plot of The Matrix was that humans were not being used as batteries. They were being used for processing power. Like, our brains were the computers. And so... We were the cloud, right? Like, the, the computers needed sure. all to harness all our computing power, but they were like, dude, we will never get a 1999 audience to understand the idea of, like, lashing together billions of processors in order to attack large problems. Like, that doesn't exist yet. So, like, how no. about batteries? I mean, like, that makes sense. Because there there were people in, like, 2000 were like, why didn't they use the sun? Why didn't they use... Hydroelectric power? Why not nuclear? Why are hu- humans don't even emit that much electricity? And so it's like, yeah, that's not really what it's supposed to be. Yeah, one
0: more point about the, the Japanese coming out with stories like this and stories like Akira with s- certain agents when you're filling out, like, queries to, to submit your novels. They'll ask you straight up about, like, your background. Um, and they'll ask you for your Twitter handle. They want to know what sort of background you're bringing to the table because it, it benefits – us if it is uh, viewership if we get different points of view in life um and i think that normally we think about that only in terms of like the different ethnicities within america but the point of view of different people around the world is so different from our what we value in america and you hinted at this a little bit with talking about the 90s we're so american-centric and you, know, you think about like Hard. People from a different country that don't have the same values on freedom and, like, right to bear arms are probably not going to come up with a similar screenplay to, to that. But you think about, like, where these noir pieces come out um, with, like, no dialogue that are black and white, and then you find out later they're French, and you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. It's cool to see what different cultures and different nationalities around the world, when they value different things in their society how that produces different kinds of stories, not only in like what the stories are about, but also the way that the stories are told.
1: Agreed. And if there's one thing I love, I will say that like the 21st century brought us that like, then although I think we all said we loved 90s cinema a lot, the 21st century did allow for like more of the world to have access to like Hollywood esque resources. And so we started to get like the city of God from, brazil we started to get leon the professional or amelie mm. from france we started to get yeah you know bangers. parasite from korea like you started to see like the rest of the world really like create their own film industry and i think that is really cool because the diversity of ideas is awesome but ghost in the shell is incredible 90s anime dude there's some bangers out there princess mononoke also fuego go check them out man yeah any yeah, of those just, uh,
0: studio Ghibli? You gotta say are, I, think, like, yeah, yeah,
1: I think Studio Ghibli is, is goaded for
0: sure.
2: They are dipped yeah. in gold. I think Leon the Professional, which is a great a great one, might might actually be an American. Oh, film you, you, yeah. Role. I think no, I it was confused. You know, if it's French? I, I think, I was, just French it yeah, with,
1: I, think I was confusing probably. it with Amelie, and then I just sped Amelie right afterwards. But oh, yeah, actually, I tried to watch Leon the Professional for this podcast, and I'll tell you what, I still like that movie a lot. It is way weirder now. Because we our societal values have shifted yeah, and yeah. the whole like this twelve year old wants to bang me thing. Way weirder, dude. Although Gary
0: yeah, Gary Oldman's still
1: crushing it, dog. Gary Oldman oh, does this French and film. fifth yeah. element back to back and he is a maniac and I love it. Yeah. Uh, for sure. That's a great Do movie. Do
2: I is it me again? Um I think it's still you. You okay, get to have your last fifth round one. pick.
1: All right, uh, I'm going to do one one for the home fans. You know, this is just a this is just one that's a personal favorite of mine. It will be a movie I watch regularly until I die. Uh, it is Boogie Nights with Mark Wahlberg.
2: Ooh, um, I do love. If you've never seen
1: Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights is like a a very strange, horrible coming of age story about a bus boy uh, in a shitty 1970s. California, like LA outskirts club, whose only, yeah, Brings amazing soundtrack. soundtrack, whose only attribute worth anything is that he has a very large dick and he shows it to people in the <laughs> back, like five bucks. Like that's all he's good for. He can fuck and he has a huge yeah. dick and he encounters an aging Burt Reynolds who turns out is like a gentlemanly, like very nice, warm hearted porn director. And so he takes him under his wing. Yeah. It's him and uh, what's his name from Step Brothers, John C. Riley. Riley are like the two uh, young, gun, up-and-coming porn stars, and they bring a little bit of class to porn, dude. They they bring story to porn. Yeah, they bring because story because yeah, ultimately, a story like podcast. deep down, Burt Reynolds story. wants to be a filmmaker, like more than anything else. He doesn't really want to direct, but yeah. but like it's where he's at. Um, and then you kind of watch this story of like all these characters kind of around this orbit, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, Dirk Diggler, who is the the stage name of Mark Wahlberg.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you got to mention that. Dude.
1: And the the origin of that name, they're in the hot tub on new year's Eve in 1969 or 1979. And he's like, I've just been thinking about my stage name and. When I close my eyes, I see these neon lights, and they're just so bright I can barely look at. Yeah, it. That's such a great and he goes, scene. "What does it say?" And he goes, "It says Dirk Diggler." And he's like, "Shit, son, that's incredible." <laughs> he's like, just smokes a cigarette, so good. So, but yeah, kind of, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible cast, and you just kind of watch these as the life kind of like as life kind of happens to these people and success happens and it goes it's to their head sad. and then it culminates yeah. in a retelling of a very famous, uh, actual crime, which is the wonderland murders in LA. Um, where John Holmes, who was, uh, an actual seventies porn star who was known for having an, a giant penis who became terribly addicted to cocaine, uh, owed his drug dealers money And in order to recoup that money, he set up one of the most dangerous criminal slash nightclub owners in Los Angeles for a robbery. Uh, And all of them ended up getting murdered. In the movie, however, they do the robbery. It kind of goes awry. And then they they all jump in his burnt orange Corvette and drive away. Um, And the movie kind of ends with him, like, figuring out he needs to, like, get away from doing coke it's the 80s so everyone's doing coke like you can kind of get you can you can get away from that but it's it's almost a hard movie to describe because there's no really beginning and end it's it doesn't feel like a three-act structure it feels like you you show up and stuff's already happening and then stuff's gonna happen after you leave and you're just there for a certain amount of time to witness these events um but it's wonderfully written every scene is iconic dude the the character whose only bit is that his wife is always fucking other guys and, like, rubbing it in his face. And then oh,
2: that, I, it, it, it's got it such culminates, that, scene that, that plot movie. line
1: culminates in that they're at uh, the New Year's party at Burt Reynolds' house for 1980, and he walks into the back room. Everyone's got champagne. They're, like, counting down from the ball drop. And he walks in the back room and opens the door, and he just sees his wife fucking a guy for, like, the 50th time in this movie. and it's a And the next thing that <sighs> happens is a... A a single, zero-cuts tracking shot where he closes the door, he turns towards the camera and walks out, and you follow him like that all the way out to his car. He goes into his car, gets something out of the glove box, walks all the way back in down the hallway, walks in, and then just shoots both of them dead, and then walks back out into the living room and blows his brains out in front of the whole room. And then it is never referenced again. Like, no one reacts to that. Like, it's crazy. The movie's nuts, so... It's a yeah. super good movie. Um, probably my oh, favorite you know what? Paul movie. Paul
2: Thomas Anderson. I didn't know that. It I is was just I was just thinking, so that movie, what, yeah, what I always think of about that movie it's a, is that it's incredibly uh, well yeah, produced. It's shot so production, well. Uh, the different sets that they have, the costumes, and that the directing was really good. I didn't realize. And then who's
1: the, I can't believe I'm forgetting Paul his Thomas name, Anderson. but, uh, wow. oh, he was in The Master. Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is one of the first Philip Seymour Hoffman movies. And oh, has, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. He ha- and he has this incredible scene. He His whole thing is he kind of secretly has a gay crush on Dirk Diggler. Yes. And there's a scene where he, he goes, hey, come outside. And he takes Mark Wahlberg outside, and he's bought a matching car to, like, try oh, to do like Mark I know. Wahlberg and like I to said, there's Mark so many scenes. And, and, and Mark Wahlberg's like, hey, man, what the hell? And he walks away, and you just see Philip Seymour Hoffman get in his car, and he has this, like, breakdown, and it's so well acted. And he's like, you're a fucking idiot, dude. You're such a fucking idiot. He's crying, like, punching his <laughs> steering wheel. Like, it's so well done, but, like, so uncomfortable. Dude, and it gets, like, uh, yeah.
2: it gets dark, too, because when... <laughs> when Mark Wahlberg's on the down and out, he turns to hooking up with guys in the parking lot. You know, he's like yeah, he's climbing in tricks, trucks, like, he gets punched in the face. It's very, uh, yeah. It's a, it's, uh, it's
1: it it goes from like a really it shows like that that fast life that they decide to live by like getting into the porn industry and doing some drugs. But yeah. hey, it's okay. Like after three decades, dude, because it goes from like it it ta- it goes from like the like the mid seventies through into the 80s and so over the course of like these this 15 year run it just gets super nuts and then eventually kind of calms back down and i almost wonder if they asked him to do that like it seems like it needed to end in just total disaster but because at the very end they're kind of like yeah well you know let's all stop doing drugs and get back together and be friends but it's a really good movie um i watched it probably like once every other year, and it's always a super rewarding watch. Like like Web highlighted, it's incredibly well shot, and every character is written to be really three dimensional and interesting. Um, even Don Cheadle, who's like his whole a, bl- a black guy who works at a store He always works store the and he cowboy loves country music. Yeah, he always he likes yeah, he country, country music. music, and everyone's like kind of jocking on him for not liking black stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like it's it's so well done. The whole thing's awesome. So
0: I love it. Man,
2: yeah. Great movie, great pick. Wow, we're, we're here at the final round. Sam, what are you thinking?
0: Man, I've got a few. I don't, I'm i not going to pick up American Beauty. American Beauty is my number four overall, but since I, well, since we kind of talked about it, I'm going to leave it off and just kind of leave it there. But man, I've got, so I do have a few other, I, I realize I kind of misunderstood my own rules about genre, so I actually can pick another genre, because I said you have to have three genres, and I've already done Usual Suspects, and I've done Saving Private Ryan, which are action and thriller, so it's like, there's a few dramas that are super good, I almost want to move down in my list just to talk about this film. Say *The Usual Suspects is um, mystery. Mystery, yeah, it's a good call. Um, I'm torn. How about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna toss up these two names, and I want to hear which one gets the most reaction. Okay, life is beautiful. Ooh, a river runs through it.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I can I can speak on both of these. Yeah, I was going to say, I like I like A River Runs Through It, uh, but I do think... That is,
1: my, that is my mother's favorite movie of all time. Dude, so I've watched it since I was like four years Before old.
2: Before we go into that, can we just say, uh, Andy, I feel like we've got a story. Remember when they let us watch Life is Beautiful in sixth grade? That was... Oh, yeah. that, that's how that, I watched yeah, it. Man, that I was can't believe I they let it. us... And I'll tell that. you what, that, was, I mean, that movie
1: that. is fucking heavy, bro. It really and, is, man. Oh, and yeah. you know what? Like Looking back, I'm like... Sometimes there was there was times in my elementary years where I was like, I can't believe they let us watch that. I'm super glad that they were they did not flinch about showing the, the horror of the Holocaust to children. That needs to be we, we need constant reminders. And I will say and, I think if
2: film critics were listening to us right now, like you know, film critics who write for the New York Times, they may pick Life is Beautiful. They probably would over A River Runs Through, yeah. but I am excited yeah. A River Runs Through is one of my top like five personal favorite movies so very it's so good
1: impact. and it's shot like the it's hard to beat like beautiful fly fishing photography no. for like yeah, <laughs> scenic background like that is like top tier well, based Americana off a true uh here.
2: it's based off a, a real guy Norman. it wasn't a norm mclean uh he was a uh, norm mclean yeah. and he's uh he his memoirs so he actually grew up at like turn of the century montana and yeah man that's a that's a phenomenal movie Especially for, like, Sam, I growing up with brothers, I feel like it strikes in a, especially, yeah. like, real tone. I always think of that scene where they get in the fight in the kitchen. Um, Brad Pitt starts fight, fighting his brother, and then they push, and they say something like, you know, young men, they, they in brothers, they, like, test each other at some point, you know, but after it's done once, like, they they never do it again. Man, I, I need to yeah, look at so the it, exact quote. It's really good.
0: It lost to um howard's end and for best adapted screenplay i honestly can't say that i've ever heard of the movie called howard's end i haven't seen it i've never yeah, heard I'm of it.
2: familiar with it we might, we might need to look that's this up. insane sometimes that happens at the academy
1: yeah goodfellas didn't win best picture either
2: yeah <laughs> yeah dances with Gosh. wolves oh. which
1: i mean you know uh, that's not a bad movie but I I especially I'm biased, especially now as a modern person, because we have done that story so many times. The white savior story. These these savages just didn't know how to defend themselves until I showed up, and they taught me some of their dances, and I banged one of their chicks, and now, dude. Well, you know what's you know what's crazy about dances with Wode's too (laughs) is
0: that
2: the the chick who's in it that they cast. I I feel like you saw this in the '50s, but like whenever that came out, 1990 or whatever, must have been the last of this. You know, she's. I'll give the movie this, she's not a white woman playing an Indian, but she is a white woman, and the backstory is that like, the Indians just kidnapped her a long time ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone back in Hollywood when like all the Indians were played by like white guys and they just had makeup on. Oh, this is kind of like the, the, skirting the, the with best, that in 1990.
1: The best ever of that is if you ever want to see a crazy movie, go find the Genghis Khan movie that John I've Wayne made. It. Heard where heard about John Wayne it. plays Genghis Khan and it's literally all white dudes in like barely tan makeup because it's in black and white. So they don't need to be like that crazy, but it's literally him doing the like Listen here, you Tartar sons of bitches. <laughs> I'm going to take over the steppes and I will conquer all of China.
2: Hey, Pilgrim. On top
1: of that, and I, and I promise I won't go too far into this side rant, but they wanted to make this movie authentic. So, what they did it was did there job. was a certain colored dirt they wanted. And this dirt was from the Mojave oh, testing that. ground where they dropped the atomic bombs and oh. it was all irradiated. And everyone who worked on this movie got cancer and died.
2: Dude, I actually All have
1: man, heard man. of that. Yeah. Damn, that's insane. So, that's insane. Moral of the story is: if you if you do racist shit, you will get cancer and die. <laughs>
0: Buongiorno. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's
2: Genghis Khan, not dances with wolves. To be clear, um, yeah, that is
0: Genghis Khan. <laughs> it's <not>. Dude, and, <laughs> and, and by the way, by, <laughs> okay, two things. By the way, it's crazy because we talk about it as of like that's like oh, that's old Hollywood and like like that's in the past. Dude, I was looking at the movie list of like best screenplays gandhi was yeah. like in oh, 1988 and yeah. ben with kingsley the, acted ben like kingsley indian is guy. gandhi dude <laughs> Nice. like what oh my oh. gosh like yeah and like recently i mean even recently we've had some films where there's been like like Tom Cruise, aladdin they, they casted several yeah. aladdin has like uh, jake gyllenhaal oh, johnny depp was the Christian.
2: indian and in Lone right. Ranger with arnie hammer's yes yeah, <laughs> Dude, you know, that must have been the most annoying set to ever be on in the world.
1: Obviously, it made sense for the plot, but I'll never forget when they they were like, this new movie coming out, it's called The Last Samurai, and it's starring Tom Cruise, and everyone was like, wait, what?
2: Dude, (laughs) how many Native Americans like in Hollywood went to audition for the Lone Ranger role only to lose to that guy who dresses like a pirate bro.
1: Do you remember the native life? American, like the don't, the don't litter ad campaign with the native Americans shedding a single tear. That wasn't even a native American guy. They got an <laughs> Italian dude from New Jersey to play
0: that guy. Like that's so fucked up,
2: dude. Well, anyhow, let's, uh, let's talk about a river runs through it. I really like that movie.
0: Lego. i've only seen it once by the way oh, really? so i'm a little bit of a i'm a little bit of an imposter like i'm hoping because i know you guys both love this movie but i want to just like yeah uh, i'll throw it up to you guys to talk more about it because again i've seen it once and it was unbelievable i need to watch it again well uh, it
2: was uh you uh, got a great collaborative project on here you've got robert redford who does the narration with some of from some of norman mcclain's rockwell uh, i was thinking norman rockwell robert redford Reads the narration from Norman McLean's memoirs as the narrator in this film. Uh, he also directed it, and this is kind of when Brad Pitt was just coming up. The story is about two brothers growing up in Montana, outside of Missoula, and their dad's a Presbyterian minister. And in, the, in their as a pastime, they're fly fishermen. They go down to the Blackfoot River and a couple other rivers that run in and around that area. And it takes place, I think, in like the nineteen 1940- thirties, um, it it spans at least, you know, a decade and a half because it's about these brothers growing up, but it's apparent from a young age that one of them wants to grow up to be a boxer and the other one wants to grow up to be a preacher like their dad. The older brother is very straight-laced, um, played by, man, I I wish I knew this name. I know he was an up-and-coming actor at the time, but Brad Pitt plays the younger brother who's a wild He was in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Let me...
0: I'll pull it up while you're uh, But Brad
2: Pitt plays the younger brother, whose name's Paul, um, and he's a total wild card. And as they get older, they go through a lot of the same experiences that we all, you know, as young boys went through in the neighborhood. Um, but different, because they're up in Montana. Like, they steal a boat, a wooden boat, from someone at one point and try to go down the falls. Like, you know, all the guys in town know about these falls that no one would ever dare to go down. Um, and and they, they go down and wreck the boat, and their dad finds out, and they have to pay it off. Uh, but then they grow up, and one of them goes to Princeton, I think it is, or Dartmouth, on the East Coast. Dartmouth. Yeah, Dartmouth. And Brad Pitt works as a lifeguard that summer, and it, it's just, it's, they start to have separate paths, right? So it, it ends up being that after Dartmouth, I think, the main character comes back and works for the Forest Service, and Brad Pitt's character has gone on to write for the newspaper, but he's developed you know, a drinking problem, Uh, they go out one night, Brad Pitt is always doing things to kind of push the envelope, like he brings a Native American woman out, uh, to town, to the speakeasy. I guess it takes place in the, in during Prohibition then. Um, and you know, and they just always get in trouble and he's racked up a gambling debt with this, you know, old, like on the outskirts of town, one of those old gambling houses that haven't been around in probably half a century where you could go and play cards and stuff and get your legs broken yeah he's, he's got it. like it's probably got some sort of east coast mob connect but it's it's out there in the west and uh the
1: kind of place where people die for 200 because sure. they haven't paid it in three weeks yeah. Like, yeah. But, but brad
2: pitt's character paul it, it you know it gets found out that he's kind of got a running tab there they don't really want him coming back but he keeps coming back and at the end of the movie they get the news that he, he's died, and just like his character, he, uh,
1: he got beaten to death in an alley. Well, they, and
2: they have a great line too, which is that you know he was always like the fighter. He would be the first to take up for his friends. He just kind of had that you know wild edge. When they find his body, the police tell his parents they're like all the bones in his right hand were broken. In other words, like he went down swinging. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah,
1: and it ends with like it ends with a line from the novella, which is just incredibly beautiful. It said, "Eventually, all things merge into one." and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over the rocks from the basement of time. On some of those rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. And so it's like, the movie is kind of built around the idea that like everything they ever needed to know about life, they learned on this river yeah. when they were fly yeah. fishing. And their father taught them this like moral code of like, hey, you don't throw your line over someone else's line. Like, all these things that, like, at the time just seemed like these very small... It's almost like the Karate Kid yeah. of, like, oh, I'm learning to wax, but really you're learning about this larger thing. Like, that's a lot of this yeah, it, it does connect, and um, I think I, anyone
2: who's a fly fisherman would tell you all the rhythms about life and the universe and God and stuff. It, it does a great job of kind of, like, boiling that down into a single theme or principle. And, like you're saying, yeah. I remember their dad teaches him to cast in the Presbyterian style where he sets up a metronome, in the front yard, and yeah. they're just out there, you know. And at first, it's 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 robotic, but at the end of the movie, right before his death, they're all out on the river together, and it's one of the last times, you know, the father's grown older. Did I cry
1: at that scene? Every time. And Pitt time. hooks up on this absolute
2: <laughs> just like hog of a fish that takes him down river, and while his brothers even watching him cast right that that day, he says something to the effect that like I realized my brother had basically transcended all this, and like in that moment, he was an artist. And, like, just doing something that, you know, uh, was absolutely beautiful and kind of larger than life.
1: And Pitt really killed this. A lot of people describe this as his career-making role. Um, He actually was super self-critical about himself on this movie. He said, Robert Redford made a quality movie, but I don't think I was skilled enough. I think I could have done better. Maybe it was the pressure of the part in playing someone who was a real person and the family was around occasionally and not wanting to let Redford down. Um it's just crazy coming from something that like many people who even people that don't like this movie say that Brad Pitt absolutely crushed it. Yeah, um, I'm kind of shocked dude like I consider this such a masterpiece. Maybe it's cuz of like again it's my mother's favorite movie but like this has an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.79 uh and on Metacritic, a sixty-eight out of a hundred. I would have thought this was like a That's eighty-five crazy. or plus. Dude, and again, finish. I was gonna yeah. say like
2: it's it. I didn't. I wouldn't pick it for maybe the top five uh, stories in the nineties because for me, you know, some of these have to do with well, like how original is the script. I mean, they all highlight different things, right? But it is a river runs through it. Is one of my top five personal favorite movies of all time. I love it.
1: This is a movie that you should watch like once when you're ten. Once when you're 20, Absolutely. once when you're 30, yeah. once when you're 40, like once you're a father. And like you know what? It's thing. so funny because there's a
2: line in there too that uh, where he's, Norman McLean Norman says something at the beginning of the movie or his father tells him. He goes, you know, Norman, yeah. one day you're going to live to write or tell the story of our family. And he realizes in later life that he basically had to live a full life to know how to tell it it's just yeah it's very poignant dude
1: it's deep dude it's it's like the to me i put it in the same category as like field of dreams where it's like yeah even when you're young and you watch it you know it grips you emotionally but it's only after you've like lived life that then you're like oh my god dude <laughs> like this is a really beautiful piece of work like
0: yeah 100% yeah i mean that's pretty much it i feel like anything i could add onto that would be a lot of word vomit um i think the only other things i would highlight is when i watch it having brothers it just kind of like had that extra emotional yeah, pull and it. um it's just like uh, especially when you have a fey chiver brother like i'm i watched that movie and i was like man webb's gonna rack up these debts and i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna find Tried. out that he got beaten to death in some back alley and mckinney texas because you know they got crazy gambling games
2: back oh, there yeah, yeah,
0: dude. um no but in all on all, all seriousness just it's such a gripping film and uh it's it's there's a few movies that were like this on here. Life is Beautiful, the reason I almost picked it is because it's the first movie that I can remember crying to. Um, oh, it's so, it's Life, so rough, dude. It's so rough. Dude, it's just like... And, hey, Webber, you're not going to pick that, are you? No. Okay, so, Life is Beautiful, like... I just remember, like, the, the the ultimate... The kind of climax of that movie, for those of you who haven't watched it, basically just, like, this father who the entire he's with his son in the in the holocaust and i forget which camp um, bergen belsen bergen belsen um there basically there's a scene where father and I, I almost forget as i as i'm saying it i almost forget exactly how it happens but the father knows he's about to get killed and he almost makes a game out of it with his with his son is basically yeah. just like i'm going to play hide and seek and like you can go around the corner and the whole movie is based around this father who is trying to help his son well like the scene where like the
1: the nazi guard is like giving them their intro to the camp and he's like who speaks german and so the dad's like i speak german because he knows that like this is going to scare his son and so the german is clearly being like you know you're going to work till you're dead saying all this horrible shit and instead he's saying in italian like all right Everyone only gets two pieces of candy a day. Everyone has to take a nap at noon. Everyone has to put their socks on, like, real funny, like, kitty shit so that his son does not realize the gravity of the situation. And, the wi- and he's like, and the winner, whoever does the best, gets to ride on a tank because that's his son's, like... Greatest goal in life because he's nine, and we all wanted to ride on a tank when we were nine. Dude, and then at the right. end, obviously the the camp gets liberated by the United States Army, uh, Patton's Third Army, and he gets to he does get to ride on a tank. But his dad's gone, and it's they cast it the man, it's, I'm, I'm like getting too. emotional thinking about it. It's so rough, dog. It's so rough. Like dude,
2: that they yeah. they casted a little boy in that movie to play that. I didn't know he was nine. I thought he was younger, but he is like uh, so adorable that it just tears your heart out.
1: Yeah, it's yep. It humanizes the Holocaust in a way that, like, I think, is hard to really g- grasp with when you're watching news footage because they tended to not show children in a lot of the black and white footage that we see of the Holocaust. It's normally adults, and frankly, most children died, so there weren't as many of them in the 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 rule like the newsreel footage. Um, but to see like. A father and son dynamic that was so recognizable like your dad and my dad have joked around with us like that and then to put them in this situation and you're suddenly very aware of the fact that like that's what my dad would do like my dad would yep. protect me like that is incredibly oh, it's very heavy It's, it's, it's very heavy.
0: highly recommended movie it's like a movie that as you said Andy it's like it is in the top stratosphere of movies that you should absolutely show your children at yes, some point absolutely um, Webb You're going to round us out with the last official pick before we get into honorable mentions. Let's hear it. All
2: right. Last pick. I'm kind of going with what Andy did here. I'm going with something that just, you know, I like. I know we all like. Crowd pleasers, baby. It's a fun movie. This is fun. Sam, you told me something before we even started recording that, like, you, you know, there's certain scripts that you're just waiting for, like, one of us to say, I think, so you can— just totally jock on it. And I think this is I Bring think that this out is here the one boy. You were talking about. But with my last and final pick, I'm going with Pulp Fiction.
1: Hell yeah. I'm going with
2: Pulp Fiction. And uh Dude,
1: I almost took it first overall. Like it's it's such a great nineties movie. It's so perfect. It like completely changed movie making after it. So many movies tried to be pulp fiction and after pulp run. fiction. Uh
2: like it changed yeah. it
1: it's so good.
2: It changed a lot. Uh for those who don't know, Quentin Tarantino wrote, directed um, *Pulp Fiction*. I think this was his second movie after *Reservoir Dogs*. Yeah, uh, and, and a lot of Reservoir people Dogs. would argue that *Reservoir Dogs* should be, you know, in, in this in this list. That I should be picking that over *Pulp Fiction*. But I like *Pulp Fiction* a little bit better. Um, one thing both those movies have in common, and I think maybe the the best thing about *Pulp Fiction* is the dialogue. Um, when we say that *Pulp Fiction* changed, you know the way that scripts were being written at the time a lot of that just has to do with this kind of elmore leonard-esque dialogue that tarantino writes tv shows and movies that were coming out after that were all trying to do the like hip pop culture reference profanity like super witty you're you're talking about stuff that doesn't really matter you know for like half the time um but you can't deny that it's fun and the entire movie keeps you guessing like the whole way through Another interesting thing about it is that it's kind of the introduction, at least in popular movies, to like the non-linear story format, which if yeah. you take that story and lay it out in chronological order, it actually would be per- relatively boring. But the way that Tarantino yeah. arranged everything um, was masterful. We'll say, if people are going to knock it on one thing, you can say Pulp Fiction has zero character development, except for Jules. Samuel Jackson is really the only... Yeah character that has a, an arc, if you will, but that's not really what the movie's for, you know? It's supposed to be a fun popcorn yeah. movie, uh, and it knocks that out of the park. Dude,
1: and all I feel like with all his movies, like, he made three great movies in the 90s. He had Reservoir Dogs, he had this, he made Jackie yeah. Brown.
2: Which uh, is actually based off an Elmore awesome. Leonard book, Rum Punch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and even in his movies now, like, Quentin Tarantino movies have characters that I like, but I think what I love about his movies is that they all have these moments where you're just like, "Oh fuck yeah, dude. So, like, whether it's Leo flamethrowering a Manson family member in his own pool, or it's, uh... uh, Brad Pitt throwing the soup can at that hippie's forehead. Amazing. Um, or, uh, dude getting on the motorcycle and being like, Zed's dead, baby. Yes. Zed's dead. And then riding off, you're just like, goddamn, that's awesome. Like, it was a kind of cool, we didn't even know... That we had in the the cool files until Tarantino brought it out. It's, it's
2: amazing. Yeah, it really is.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It is. I mean, what Web, Webb kind of touched on it being a non linear story. Um, I think anytime you have a you have a screenplay or a movie in particular where like you're forty five minutes into it and you still don't really know what the movie's about, but you're gripped. Yeah, is like absolutely. It's just that that just shows that it's really good writing. I mean, I mean, the first time I watched it, I don't. I, it's it's probably about 30 45 minutes in where they have the Samuel L. Jackson's in the apartment when he's like so good. speak up the like big that whole scene you're you're just we'll like super more. on you're super on your toes just like what's going on like you almost you almost feel like you're in the room with them a little bit and oh yeah again you're like why do I feel so strongly about these characters that I don't know I don't really know what this movie's about but Tarantino just had a way to do that and it's a little bit like um, I'm reminded of his kind of like Alfred Hitchcock style with some of the things that he does in this movie as well as like Inglorious Bastards as well as like Django where like you just walk into this like chamber scene it's like you know that there's these high stakes and it's just these there are these players that are playing out this scene and there's usually one that has a significantly higher power than the other in this scene yeah. in, in Pulp Fiction it's a guy with a gun right? and he's he's significantly more outgoing and like maybe the person he's interrogating right and so like the power dynamic is completely off and they just do this great job of exploring what that scene would look like and you're just you feel like you're the guy getting interrogated by samuel L. jackson
1: definitely it's so good that that scene's been done to death i mean i was i was the quintessential college freshman who had the jewels and vincent holding the pistols giant blown up poster on the Hell wall yeah. of my dorm room which i think every frame of pulp fiction has been turned into a poster that they sell at the yeah. bo- college bookstore uh, yeah. on every campus in america at this point but dude it's iconic like it's you know we're th- almost three decades removed we are three decades removed from this movie and it's still like every bit as cool and hip as it ever was i mean the dancing scene is crazy that's a crazy scene to put into a movie like that and it works there's some very strange one-time stylistic decisions like when he tells her that he doesn't or when uh vince tells her that she, that he doesn't dance tells mia he doesn't dance and she tells him not to be a square but instead of telling him not to be a square she says don't be a and then she starts making a square with her fingers and the chalk outline just appears in the air and then disappears and they never do anything like that again in that movie you're suddenly like what was that like it's great it's great
2: andy you mentioned. Um... You know, we were talking about Saving Private Ryan. You talked about watching that with our dads for the first time. And I think growing up, like, as movie buffs, that was almost one of my favorite things, is my parents would—we'd go to Blockbuster, and they'd recommend something that I had never seen, and they'd be like, yeah, check out Indiana Jones. You know, so I'd go home, and we'd watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it would just blow our mind. Dude, I can't
1: wait till my to have my son for that reason. Like, I get to I get to be the one to be like, "Hey, let me tell you, let me blow your fucking mind real quick." It's called Star Wars. Well, and and, shit, and you right? know what? What, I, <laughs> what I'm getting
2: at is that not only are is this time era when we grew up in the '90s going to be just so fun to go through with our kids one day, but when they're old enough, I can't yeah. wait to show them Pulp Fiction to introduce them to Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I know, dude. And be like, "Hey, I dude, know. you're gonna really like this." Um, so. Yeah, that's my number five pick, and with that, dude, close it
0: out. Good one, man.
1: Talk about like a just a heater at the end. Your your the anchor on your relay team is strong, dude. Thank that's you. awesome. dude. No
0: kidding. It's funny. I was looking at our picks, and Webb in particular. Your last three, like a few good men, Goodwill Hunting, and Pulp Fiction. Like it almost yes. feels like you could reverse the picks, and that that no would be joke. like the top you're, three picks.
1: You're strong, top to bottom. I've got. There's a lot Sorcan, of good stuff in the nineties. I mean. I, Rob we still have so much left. My my big board has so many movies left on it that like like if it, if I had to start repicking right now and it was like, okay, I guess I'll have like Seven and Jackie Brown and uh LA Confidential and Starship Troopers yep. and these are and I mean I had that a one casino make oh, like, there, no mistake
2: about it. Like I could easily um I, I I already had between our first and second recording some like not regret, but I was like, dude, I could so easily shift out some of these choices I've already made because there's yeah. so many good movies. I mean, none of us picked the Shawshank Redemption. Did you notice that?
1: Yeah, or Schindler's List. Like, yeah, if, yeah. You know, which Schindler's List is often like up as like the best movie ever. Dude, Fargo like, people put that as like the greatest movie ever made. Fargo, yeah. incredible. The Lion King, which Toy Story, which we mentioned earlier, The Sandlot, Tombstone, the Truman, the Truman Show. Show. Which was yeah, tomb, for it's, it's funny
0: because Tombstone was one that I had as a western. I was like, I, can, I was. Anticipating that around four or five, I was going to pick Tombstone. I'm I'm surprised Webb picked Unforgiven. I think Tombstone is. Dude, you know what movie
2: came Tombstone out in like. Strong. What movie came out in like 1990? Well, I think Tombstone's more fun, but I think Unforgiven's probably like a better script. But uh sure. movie that came out in 1990 that I think a lot of film critics would tell us should be on this list is Groundhog Day. I'm, I'm just saying people yeah, love Groundhog Day. a ton day. of places.
0: Yeah. Um, how about The Big Lebowski?
2: Yeah, definitely worth a mention. Yeah, if, if
0: it came down to comedy, Dang I would have picked that. And, and you know, I was, I almost there's part of me that wishes we picked one for each genre because I think if we had done that, I think that we would have picked. No one uh, picked a Coen. I think we would have picked Groundhog Day. I think we would have picked um, The Big Lebowski. I also think we would have picked like Terminator. Am I 2? the only?
1: Am I the only person that took a
2: comedy? Did, which comedy did you take? I forgot. Yeah, oh, you off took Half the, off the Space? space. Yeah, yeah. I would have taken it's Big like Lebowski. Kind of,
0: that would have been my comedy choice. Dude, Big Lebowski is such I a will good say selection. that
2: the 90s has great comedies. I know this isn't like a top-tier movie. It's it's truly just funny. But you know what's a, like a really original idea for a script? Is there's something about Mary? That's oh, yeah, like a yeah, great... Yeah. Like a, a yeah, girl that, that really like all awesome. these guys are just so in love with or... Um,
1: well, and like, dude, we got Friday in the '90s. Like, yeah. we had comedies coming out from all over the place that were all like very original screenplays that like had really interesting. And then we kind of we got into the 2000s, and we got like the golden era of like the big money comedy with like 40 year old Virgin and Super Bad and like uh, Wedding Crashers and like all these like kind of big budget like great cast comedies. And then that the studios kind of went away from that. Like, you can't really make. I guess you're not you're not going to make a billion dollars making a comedy, so they're not they're not really interested in it. Yeah,
0: I, dude, I, I'm I'm looking at different genres. I think if I'd gone into romance as my 14 overall, I had Sleepless in Seattle. We haven't even yeah. talked about Sleepless in Seattle. Um, but we man, talked a little man. bit about Toy Story. I had that a little bit further down. Um, if we had we, it's crazy because if you just like walked into somebody on the street and said, "What is the biggest movie of the 90s?" We didn't even. Sniff, talking about Titanic, no. and I don't necessarily yeah. think it's a great, great screenplay. But like, man, that's that, and then conf- confession. Never You've seen. Never that.
2: seen Titanic. Dude. Never seen
0: Titanic. Wow, man, it's just such an
1: undertaking. You know what I mean? It's like three yeah. hours something. I know, what, you happens, know what happens, obviously, because yeah. it's been like three decades. I've seen every frame of that movie as like a meme somewhere. I know who dies, like. It's tough. Dude, you know what? I'm I telling mean, I you. I I even use it. What's weird is it's such a huge part of culture that I use Titanic in jokes. Like when our dog is like sprawled out by the window, I'll walk by and be like, draw me like one of your French girls. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so right. I know it's, it's so big that even I who has not seen it has permeated my knowledge of pop culture, but I've still hey, never seen you it. You know what else right. we didn't sniff?
2: Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. I mean, dude. What,
1: how about Independence Day, dude? Like huge. I mean, there's some big movies, dude.
2: Man.
0: Yeah, I almost feel like we well, at some point we would have to do a different draft that's like... Um, blockbusters you know, only. Mold, blockbusters only, or like certain genres only. Bro, because let me tell you,
1: if we're doing blockbusters only, your boy is going pick number one, The Rock, dude. Oh, Sorry, yes. Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, because that shit slaps, <laughs> I really love that. dude.
0: Another, another one I wanted to bring up in, in passing was... Okay, actually, I've got a few. We didn't talk about The Green Mile. Oh, we didn't talk oof. about... Uh, Bro, that yeah. movie's tough. It makes me
1: so upset to watch The Green Mile. That fucking yeah. evil god. Oh,
2: I know. Like the worst. Well, same thing and showed. We didn't she talk about like, damn.
0: We didn't talk about Clerks. We didn't talk about Dumb and Dumber.
2: I love Dumb and Dumber.
0: Um, down. another one that web picked Silence of the Lambs as the horror, and if we had to pick a bunch of different genres including horror, my number one horror was Scream just because like of Scream its influence yeah. and like it's twist at the end and like I could go on and on. I I, I, really I had wish an entire diatribe I had ready seen,
1: but. I really wish I had seen Scream when it was brand new. Because so many movies yeah. came after Scream that like either like
2: scary like movies kind
1: of made fun of Scream or like tried to be Scream. There I also saw several other Screams. So like the yeah. concept had been like totally muddied and I had I know that for a fact that if I saw Scream when it first came out, it would have been like damn dude that was heady as fuck bro how no it's I actually dude, kind you know of I mean? it's like, actually
2: kind of funny am i not mistaken i mean screen is yeah, kind oh, of yeah, like a comedy yeah
1: yeah oh it's definitely it's like a, a, little a total bit, but i will say yeah. this
2: um i do think that you you made the right choice by not picking it because i avoided some movies i felt like man they had fun and i know we gave pulp fiction credit for its influence but overall to me this draft wasn't about influence it's about like well how strong is the script itself you know and i don't think oh if you if you had to do
1: like if you were doing like movie that had like huge cultural impact but isn't that good i mean dude fight club is right there like that movie was so enormous in the minds of 19 late 90s america like every guy wanted to be tyler durden brad pitt it's like or start a club fuck working it you know kinkos bro like dude, so and again pissed. that's another
2: one of those like american beauty and the matrix it's that theme and if we're going to talk about cultural influence like pop culture i don't want to beat a dead horse with the matrix but dude remember when everyone was doing bullet time for like three years dude, after bro the matrix dude, came dude there
1: were movies that would come out do you remember x ballistic x versus yes. their trailer was literally like forget the matrix <laughs> which come on dog that's a bold quest It's a bold ask my dude like,
2: hey I do want to give one big shout out I know you mentioned the big Lebowski but for uh, movies we missed a script that could have easily have replaced any of the movies on my list is Fargo Face Off no, f- well yes, yes face- Fargo off. Yeah, we, yeah. we do need to that's what, I, that. that's what I was thinking but man Fargo yeah. no Fargo's is, incredible you mentioned wanting to do a dark comedy earlier Sam I feel like Fargo would actually fit the space of dark comedy a little better than American Definitely. Beauty uh that movie's great
0: uh a few a few other honorable mentions that just have to be named uh my number my number two comedy the truman show yeah so good. incredibly just explores an incredible story and like something that was very particular to like that era like reality shows and kind of the air the kind of rabbit hole we're going down other ones that come to mind are braveheart didn't even talk about braveheart didn't talk about Casino, didn't talk about Apollo 13, and didn't talk wow. about Jerry Maguire. <sighs> didn't talk about dude, Jerry, is Jerry Maguire. Jerry uh, you Maguire know not a... Yeah, hey,
2: Jerry Maguire sucks, Listen, though, but the, the, <laughs> <Jerry> image of, <laughs> Jerry Maguire the image of Tom Cruise like in that movie, I don't even know if he wears Ray-Bans in that, but that to me is like the 90s movie star look was yeah. Tom Cruise playing Jerry Maguire.
1: Jer- Jerry Maguire can be fun. The one the conceit of that film where he like stays up all night writing, a um, a, 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 I guess a manifesto, like a psycho about how they <laughs> should make less money and then expects that to go over. Well is insane. And then I think that that, that movie, ju- ju- I think that Tom Cruise and the chick, who's the chick, chicken? That, uh, that is like the least chemistry there's ever been between two co-stars in the history of time. Like, Tom Cruise is a great leading man and she can act her ass off too. But them in that movie, like pretending that he liked her kid and stuff, I was like, I do not believe this. Dude, like <laughs> Tom Cruise hates. And this ultimate kid. ultimate like, ninety scene about?
2: when Tom Cruise is like, you know, really feeling himself and he's riding on the highway and it's like sunset and Free Fallen by Tom Petty comes on. Hell and he yeah, just like dude. cranks Hell it.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh comedy dude. that we missed that's also great from this era I think it's nineteen ninety nine, and has Renee Zellwinger. Me, Myself, and Irene with Jim Carrey. That also movie great. is hilarious. Obviously, Jim Carrey owned the 90s comedy scene,
0: right? Like, yep. There's so many we missed, but I, it just I, comes I down also, to best screenplay, wanna... man. We just we just can't – I mean, there's just – I, I again, do want to shout it, it, out – This comment that we said earlier is like it, it's. there's just too many good dramas in the 90s.
1: Yeah. I do want to shout out to uh, Denzel Washington Vehicles because – It would really be like a little bit like later when he would really take off. Like early 2000s was really prime Denzel time. But he did Philadelphia Mm. in 1993, which was – dude, for a young actor who wasn't that established yet to do like a a story about a man with AIDS, like crazy choice – and then he did the Malcolm X biopic where he plays Malcolm, and that shit is powerful, dog. But he did great, great. Scene. I will say,
2: well, he took the risk, but Tom Hanks was the AIDS AIDS guy in uh, Philadelphia. So oh, like, you're right. He you're was right. like the yeah. attorney or, yeah. or whatever. But
0: yeah, he was the attorney. Did attorneys.
2: we uh, did we mention seven at
0: all? I, I have not seen. I have not seen the Malcolm X movie, but I have seen a thousand times the meme of him looking around and being like, "That brother thirsty." yeah from that movie (laughs) yeah
1: that's dude it's a great it's a really good movie um i'll be like that movie was my like gateway into learning about malcolm x like i really like because i think especially in public education you tend to skew more mlk than you're like aware that malcolm x exists but like in the civil rights movement obviously things ended up going more malcolm than or more martin than malcolm um but it's a beautiful story of a man who like comes up as a criminal and like goes to jail and like finds Islam and like becomes this really radical revolutionary black man. And then at the end of his life actually like turns away from kind of the like hatred of white people. And is like, actually like I love all my brothers and sisters. Like we need to like more peacefully coexist. And then he gets whacked on stage, giving a speech about that. It's really dramatic and powerful. And Denzel crushes it, dude. He's really, really good actor. So any closing thoughts, guys, I'm upset Bad Lieutenant didn't make it because Harvey Cottel's a maniac in that movie. It probably shouldn't have
2: been made. That movie's
1: fucking Have you ever seen that
2: movie? I think it's called Falling Down or Falling Up or something. Oh, dude, Falling Down. The one about the. the, the, Another angry white-collar man. He literally Have you ever seen this movie, Sam?
0: No. He's just having a bad. Falling Down
1: is like. It's like, a, it's, like, yet another, like, angry white-collar white man in the 90s movie. It's, like, this dude. He's, like, an accountant. He's wearing – you know he's a really nerdy white man because he's wearing a button-down, a white button-down, but it has short sleeves. So, you know, so he's that kind oh, yeah. of, of dweeb. And basically he just has starts having a bad day and he gets, like, mugged, like, on the way to work. And he decides he's not having that. So – he proceeds to go on a full rampage through the city of Los Angeles. He ends up killing, like, 50 people. It's crazy. It's it's Michael Douglas, too, which makes yeah. it, like, you're like, this is not bullshit. Like, this is, they're doing yeah, something yeah. here, but, like. <laughs> also, shout out to
2: The Game with Michael Douglas.
1: Dude, The Game. People don't like that movie because of how it ends, but I actually kind of fuck with it, dude. I think it's really interesting.
0: Does it just name drop the whole time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Dude, if I was going to give any closing thoughts, all I'd say is that it's really hard to boil down this draft So is. this is This is hard. 90s, we
1: should do this again for the – we should do this for the aughts, dude. We should try a, a naughties and see. We're going to have a up title
0: up. that says the best screenplays of the 90s except for – and just list our first 15 picks and just restart <laughs> the draft.
2: But, yeah, it, 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 it's hard to pick uh, – not only like to limit it down to five choices but just looking back on this you know prepping for the draft and stuff you realize like man the 90s was its own golden age of movies you know um
1: especially when you're like 9 years old and oh, have no man. responsibilities and <laughs> it it slaps right. dude good times <laughs> being a
2: child oh, for sure
1: uh the 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 results are in being a child pretty tight yeah
0: yeah, I mean if we were going for straight childhood classics, I would have put that Power Rangers film where they drink the goo, the the purple Oh, the, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers
1: and, movie where they fight Ivan yeah. Ooze
0: and he takes <laughs> over all the
1: parents at the amusement park with his ooze. Yeah, I'm familiar. Like-
0: we need to review <laughs> that one. <word. laughs> sounds like it. we don't need to review it. It sounds like Andy Ernie hasn't. I love it a lot
2: when it came out. That shit slapped,
1: well, dude. I was the biggest power. What about Shazam? Shaquille
2: like... O'Neal, where he's the genie, and that kid wastes a whole-ass wish on all the candy in the world? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know what? That's a waste now, but as a child, I was like, "I know, I was too." Awesome,
2: dude! I made our mom dry
1: <laughs> a bunch of it's non-wrapped candy. It's just like raw Skittles in an alley. I'm like, you can't eat that. Like, hey, here's
0: something you can look forward. To. We didn't even get into Disney Disney Channel original movies like Smart House. You're not our mom, Pat. You're not real. Yeah. Dude, like didn't uh, even it, get into it didn't touch it Disney Channel original
1: movies begin and end with blank check which is the most ridiculous piece of media ever invented that was <laughs> this child joke. cashes a check for a million dollars and proceeds to spend like roughly 50 million dollars. <laughs> <Like, laughs> he really does. He, he cashes a check for like a million bucks and he's like he buys a mansion with a water slide.
0: <laughs> he's dating like a 30-year-old dude, woman.
1: <laughs> a 30-year-old woman kisses this kid. I'm like what kind of gold digger are you? But you're down to like make out with a 9-year-old because he's got money. Like what a horrible person. Oh, like <laughs>
2: dude, yes. That's just man. That uh, Leon the professional. So there was something weird going on. I'm glad our culture moved I know, past we, that. dude.
1: I don't know what is up. In the '90s, we were really exploring. Like, yeah. we couldn't being gay wasn't cool yet. So we were going to, uh, exploring other directions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man!
0: Well, this has been super fun. We'll have to do it again soon. With the aughts or the '80s or something, we'll we'll kind of figure that the out. The '80s um, would be tied. Yeah. Commando number oh, one for sure. i about say like Gandhi with, uh, <laughs> ben with Ben Kingsley. <laughs> Yes. We just talk about that for an hour. Again, as always, if you guys liked what you heard, please like and subscribe and give us a review. We greatly appreciate that. But more importantly, tell two friends. We really want to get the word out. And as always, this is Novel Discourse with Sam, Andy, and Webb. And thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Adios. Peace.